All right. This is hard to get used to, you know. I have offended many people hugging <laughs> them. <laughs> I, I, I would doubt that you offended them, but I would say that you probably have just left people, you know, kind of uh, desiring a nice hug or, you know, just like all of us are having right now. I mean, this is... Um, I, I, they keep saying uh, in the TV and in newspapers and stuff that the big line is unprecedented times. These are <laughs> unprecedented times. Right. And there's a truth to that, to the sense that, like, we, all of us living, none of us have, have been through a time where this kind of stuff is so confusing. And it, and and for you, Granny, in particular, I, I, I feel like it's even more that because you're already dealing with confusion issues and memory right. issues. And so having to I'm have... I've offended a lot of people. <laughs> well... Debbie's just not fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's tough. I mean, nobody wants to accidentally bring this uh, virus that's been going around to you. You know, everybody's just scared that, you know... I mean, everybody knows, as we all know, you're going to pass away at some point. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pass away at some point. Chris is going to pass away mm -hmm. at some point. That's not that's not a mystery. Right. You know, but when that time is going to come, none of us know. Right. And nobody ever wants to live with the guilt and feeling like they were the one who accelerated that right. happening, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so people just get nervous and they get scared. And mm -hmm. um, like we always talk about as, as a team here, it's very important to recognize that our worst decisions in life always come out of when we're afraid. Right. Always. And right now, we as a society are living with a lot of fear. And so we're making, we're, we're making decisions that we're not really sure are very good decisions or not good decisions. And, and, and then we have to live with the guilt of if it wasn't the right decision, you know, then mm -hmm. we were telling everybody to do that. So. Yeah, but sweetheart, I am so blessed. Mm -hmm. You are. Nothing means anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that the whole thing is, is that I can't get it through my thick head of greeting people. Well, <laughs> if you think about it, you've had 95 years. Right. 95 of hugging. Of hugging. <laughs> of hugging and holding hands and of immediately, you know. Right. Uh, and now it's going to be ah. <laughs> yeah. And you got the masks. I mean, the masks are... Oh, that is, that is it. A little mm, scary at times. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, um, Terry tells me that uh, whenever she goes to the store and she sits in the uh, car before going in the store, the thing she has to do for herself is uh, to get psyched up. Is She uh, starts telling herself a scenario in her head that she's a bandit and she's going to go rob this store and she puts her mask on to, <laughs> to get her all psyched up before she goes in. <laughs> and, and I appreciate that because, I mean... She's going to get shot. <laughs> well, we hope not. Yeah, but Right now, it seems to be the norm that everybody has their masks on in the store, at least the most. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's different. It's just, it's just that. It's different. Right. And thankfully... And at my age, that's a lot of difference. It's right? a lot of difference, especially at your age. Um, I, and Everyone I, should be really blessed hmm? that I even recognize them, right? Well... <laughs> And you think about this, Granny, how many people your age are right now in a nursing home? Right. And they can't have family come they see them. They can't walk or talk or, or they, laugh. or. Yeah, and they're not getting, I mean, at least, at the very least, you have Dad and Debbie here with you. You have Liz come be with you, uh, you know, a couple times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, you had uh, this morning Katie came by and had a little breakfast right. with you. And uh, there's no one like Katie. <laughs> no one. There's no energy force in this world that's like Katie. Um, and I You've love her. You've been with Katie, haven't you? Oh, I, I, she's a bundle of fun. <laughs> she is. And, uh, Very sweet. But you think about just how thankful we need to be in, uh, for the fact that you do have this right. support network. Because I have clients right now who are in a very similar state to you as far as their age and their ability to process things, and and they don't have that. Mm -hmm. They don't have family there with them. They're stuck in the nursing home, and they're scared, and nobody's able to come and give them a hug right. to let them know it's okay. I can't go give them a hug to tell them it's right. okay. And, um, that, and that's where it's just, it's very heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's scary, and it's different, and, and it's weird here. But there's still love, and there's still that ability to uh, have human interaction. So that's a good thing. Um, I know, you know, again, the, the memories are hard to grasp, you know, nowadays. And they're harder to uh, pull up when you need to. But, mm -hmm. like, last week when uh, my sister Dube was over here for a couple of days, and her and I sat and played music with you, and you're able to sing and remember your favorite songs of I Fly Away and uh, Land Where Never Grow Old and stuff like that. And... Um, that to me was a very beautiful moment to be a part of and be thankful to be able to have that time with you, mm -hmm. even if it meant we had to sit outside and eat chicken and, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, poor us, poor right. us, we had to sit poor outside, us. you know, sit outside and eat chicken and sing songs. I mean, right. how, how horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was really sweet of you, Josh, how you, and, uh, you, you said it was your sister, Debbie? Yeah, dude, dude was in town for oh, yeah. Pier Town. I heard about um, that, I forgot. She brought Jackson and Ella with her, mm -hmm. and uh, just, I mean, to get away from everything for a little bit, and yeah. and where they're coming from, there's two cases in all of this time with the COVID, there was only two cases in all of their county, in Madison County, and wow. both of those people recovered, they're fine, so her chance of being exposed to anything bad was pretty low, right. and, and oh, yeah. you know... Um, but it was needed for her, too, to recharge her batteries because she's pretty segregated out there, out in the mountains. Oh, exactly. They, they were, had a really exciting time, didn't they? They did. Re remember the Hazel Lee? Yeah. <laughs> well, the Hazel Lee dedication from earlier this year is still um, <laughs> I, a big talking point there. I thought that was so nice of them to do that. I, it's amazing. I keep rereading re it every so often. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dedication? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was just beautiful. Because it, it really is going to be. That will happen. Yes. And yes. I, I just, I'm really so thankful for that. Mm -hmm. And your name will forever be uh, connected I, to that? Mm -hmm. But believe me, honestly, it doesn't matter about my name. It's that what is really going to right. make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. Giving back to the community. Right. Yeah, yeah that, that dedication, I was very blessed to be allowed to write. It um, oh, was a Do beauty. Doobie, uh, Doob had uh, asked me to, to do it, and so um, it, it, I, I, she gave me about 24 hours to write it. So um, <laughs> I had to kind of put it together, and then I got a hold of uh, Aunt Mare and um, and my buddy Soulsby, and I sent it to I sent first to Aunt Mare, and I said, uh, Aunt Mare, I need uh, uh, I need your editing skills because she is a very, very good writer and a very good editor. Absolutely, and Marilyn is. She, she came back to me with, oh, you know, do you really want my you know, advice? And I was like, yeah, tell me, tell me what you see because I, 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 I want, I want to make this better. So she came back with a, a good list of uh, 
things that she was concerned with as far as just trimming the fat. You know, mm-hmm. like, hey, right. you got a good writing here, but there's it's bloated. Mm-hmm. Trim the fat. You know, let's let's get down to the point. Constructive criticism. Wonderfully so. And so Well, um, you two are so sharp. And yeah, so I, I used her her constructive criticism, I trimmed it down, and then I sent it over to Silsby because, you know, Silsby's a professional writer, that's what he does. And I just said, No, you just put an eyeball to this. He changed like two little pieces of grammar for me and sent it off to Dube and said, Okay, let's see how this goes, you know. And <laughs> Um, I was really thankful that it came out as good as it did, and it, and it was it was meant to do what it did, which right. is honor you and honor. And more important than just honoring you, but honoring the spirit by which you do things, and the spirit by which we do, then go give that to other people so that they can go do for themselves yeah. too. But you know what? Too, I really did appreciate is the past. Mm-hmm. You did that so lovingly in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of these things I'll have to maybe pull that out and read it out loud for for our listeners because I don't think our listeners got a chance to to read that. But I, yeah, I meant every word about mm-hmm. how you were you were born in into a situation where you didn't get to be a child. Right. You had to work in the fields. You had to do those things. And when and you see, I didn't know that. I just did it. You right? just did it. <laughs> but then once you finally set up shop there in Wyandotte, and you guys finally settled on that house on First Street, and you really were comfortable in your own skin. That's and, where you're living now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're at the, the, the Baldur house now, you know. Granny <laughs> Grandpa's old house. <laughs> but once you finally got that, you created your own school there that you didn't even call a school. It just was a place where kids could come and learn, but also be children mm-hmm. and, and grow and be magical and, and to appreciate magic and um and yeah i i don't think that there's a better spirit on which to build a school than that i was so blessed with relatives being so close to yeah me. that was really nice yeah you had uh mara and uh, joe right next door you had right. uh dad and my family right across the streets right. you know uh, and down at the end was someone there well we had the, see down at the end we had uh for family, well, we didn't have much other family. I mean, we had uh, the Bowlers were real close. We had uh, uh, friend Joanne were a couple streets away, mm-hmm. you know. So we had a lot of people. We had the, the Watsels there uh, that were just right. like family. Mm-hmm. We had faith in God. Our community was all mm-hmm. right there. That's right. Exchange Park yeah. where we could go swing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the mailbox. That was fun, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I do like Exchange Park and the mailbox that was close by, right by the Credit Union. And that was all yeah. part of the classroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, taking those walks with you to the to the uh, the mailbox to go mail letters was part of school. <laughs> that that was an important thing to learn. I I'm I, I can't speak for Chris, but I'm gonna assume it's probably similar for you, Chris. Going to the mailbox. Yeah. Oh yeah, Granny and I. Well, well, when Grandpa was still alive in those days, so I would have been four or five. We the mailbox was still. We could drive up, and you could like from the car, you could put. The pastor could put letters in the mailbox, but uh, yeah, we there were many times where Granny and I would in our walks in the neighborhood we would go up and mail letters in the mailbox. Yeah. Well, and what better way to learn about the importance of connecting with other human beings than to walk with her and go do that physical yeah. act of not not only just writing it, not only licking the envelope uh-huh. and putting it down, and but then getting up off your butt. 
Right. Walking down the street for a couple of blocks, appreciating your neighborhood, looking around, exactly. seeing what's there, exactly. and putting that letter into that box, and then believing in the magic of post office. Because <laughs> quite honestly, I worked at the post office for four years, and I still don't fully appreciate how hmm. that letter gets from your hand inside that box to <laughs> magically somewhere else three days later, you know, <laughs> uh, thousands of miles great. away Isn't and all of a sudden somebody's opening up. I mean, that's magic. And that's a, and that's something that we have to have faith and believe in mm -hmm. because we don't get to see every step of it. So right. there has to be faith. And that is something that we learned in the classroom with mm -hmm. you. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't be more thankful for it. And couldn't be more passionate about it. I honestly think that that was one of the best things, if not the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, was being able to walk through the classroom Yeah, and with I you. feel exactly the same way. I, oh, I agree. That definitely was a big cornerstone in going to Granny's house today. You could always count on Granny doing two things, sewing and write, sending out cards. And <laughs> Granny loved to send out birthday cards and green cards and all kinds of cards. And... Um, yeah, and I, I think it definitely is a, a fun legacy to, you know, follow in Granny's footsteps. And I really love making people's day when I, you know, get to send them a birthday card or whatever card and hearing back from them, oh, that was so thoughtful of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's absolutely. so true. So it's such a good surprise to so many people. Absolutely. They don't do that. Absolutely. It definitely is a lost art now, you know, mailing letters. And, and like Josh said, it's something we don't think about all the steps that, you know, it takes and... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I think that it, um, I, I still, every, I don't send out as many letters to celebrities as I used to. I've kind of gotten away from that. But uh, I know I told Josh and Terry that I, I've become a big fan of Bob Dylan, the singer, oh. lately. And I wrote a, I figure, I don't think Bob Dylan, is, if I write a letter to him, I don't think he's going to write me back. He might not even see my letter. But I figure, well, Bob Dylan has a son jacob dylan who he's also a singer songwriter so why well, don't i write a letter to him and so i i did write him a letter haven't heard back from him yet <laughs> but holding out hope and mm -hmm. and that was actually going to be something i would bring up as well is the fact that your letter writing obviously rubbed off on mr chris it did as that is something that that he does and and think about like the times that we've listened to Chris read some of the letters that he got back from, oh, from these people. Oh, it's been so wonderful, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and how much it touches people's lives. I mean, uh, Mickey Coon, you know, is somebody who, how how great it must be for him, you know, to open up that letter and see it from uh, an earnest young man right. who wants to genuinely know a little bit about him and to let him know that he appreciates him as right. a human being, you know. Um, I mean, that kind of stuff is, is just so huge, and... We don't always know the impact of what we do. Right. In fact, most of the time we don't. We right. don't know the impact of how we. I do don't it. think it's meant to be. You yeah. know, it's supposed to be a mystery. Right. You know, and and we we are we have to be faithful creatures and allow ourselves to believe in that mystery and that Absolutely. magic and that it that it works. Because when we open up a letter that we were not expecting, we feel good. Right. So therefore, we have to believe that that's true for other people as well. You know. Um, anyway, if it's not, it, it was still we we felt good. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I, I come across anytime I'm cleaning at my house, um, it, seemingly any room that I'm cleaning, I tend to run into a letter that you wrote me at some point <laughs> uh, that I just like I read or a card that you wrote me and then I, I put aside and, and and kept it around. So it's really fun because it's. Um, I get to be reintroduced to these memories 
and, and they're from all times of life. I mean, you, you've been writing me as long as I've been alive, and so I, I just run into these little cards or letters from you every so often, and, you know, it's always a happy day. Uh-huh. What a beautiful <laughs> world we live in. How, how thankful we are to, to have well, what we I, have. I'm just so glad you, you say that because, you know, recently you, you had a big thing in, what, North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Yep, Oh, I can't tell you what that meant to me. Mm. Yeah. Some of you wrote me even about it, the Hazel Lee. The Hazel Mm -hmm. Lee, the dedication, yeah. Yeah, I think that was really thoughtful of Josh to write the dedication and uh, very, really nice. I did too, and not not because my name was mentioned, but that attitude is in, I hope, everyone's heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I, you know, really, that, that would be so beautiful. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. It is. It they is. just need someone to really encourage or whatever. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I think about Josh Ray and the dedication. I think it's wonderful how Josh – Josh is great at paying tribute. And I, oh, absolutely. I, I really like to add uh, Mary Z or, or Mammy Z at her <laughs> funeral visitation that Josh was the first one to speak. And he gave a, a very good uh, tribute. I, I just thought the term, not because it was me, but the Hazel Lee Wing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought that was really outstanding. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought the, the, the young 95-year-old? That is so nice because not many people would know Hazel Lee, you know. Not but so. that they'll think of, of what you, that really meant. Yeah. You know, the actions and that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, the young 95-year-old daughter of a 14-year-old uh, sharecropper in Arkansas. Right. So. <laughs> it was outstanding. Right? Yeah. That is clever. I just love that, actually. Hey, I was just so thankful for all the people that could be there and hear that. I agree. And see it. Action. And all the people who will get to learn inside of that building from right. here on out, which right. is a beautiful thing. And we're so blessed. That's our relatives so doing it. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't yes. that something? We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to our relatives. Oh, our, for sure. Our family is amazing. Oh, yeah. I still think it's sweet that, you know, if the uh, coronavirus happening, all the, the haircut places being closed, I uh, went and got my haircut at Erica's house because her beauty studio was still open, and uh, she was very nice to cut my hair and did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've got the the quarantine uh, do going these days. Uh, <laughs> my my hair's definitely gotten a little on the longer side. That looks fine to me. Um, it's it just finally kind of passed that stage of uh, being like shaggy and unkempt to now it's like I can actually have a style again with it. But uh, <laughs> I ha- I have an appointment for next week uh, with Maureen to uh, Maureen's my my barber. Uh, she lives uh, or she works in that building right next to friend Joanne's house. Oh. Uh, right there on North Line, uh, across from Hoods. Uh, but anyway, she's I've been going to her since I was 18, wow. I think. But, uh, <laughs> uh, which is a long time now, uh, <laughs> as I'm getting older. Wind out roots. <laughs> yeah, my wind out roots. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go get my hair cut then. But uh, it's it's been funny. Yeah, I was going to mention your hair does look good for uh, considering the COVID time. So oh, you, uh, Erica does a good job on that. Mm-hmm. How was... Um, How's things been at Lowe's during all of this, Chris? Well, uh, let me put it kindly. Um, I like to think that Lowe's is probably like the equivalent of 
not as busy as JFK Airport, but okay. but definitely busier than an Alaskan airport. No, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a good comparison. <laughs> it is pretty hectic at times. Um, you know, my job being a loader, I'm outside in the parking lot most of the time. I don't think, I don't really have to deal with the crowds too much out there. But when I go inside and I see we have a line of 15 plus people at customer service, yeah, you can tell it really is hectic there. Um, we have very patient cashiers, and um, yeah, but things are. Uh, it, I, I feel like from where it was in March and April, where it was, it was just depressing seeing you know the angry customers and stuff, you know, yelling at the the poor cashiers. Yeah. I think in that sense, uh, three months later, things are starting to improve. People are getting a little bit more reasonable, and the the um, harsh customers are starting to. Now that more and more stores are opening, the harsh customers are going to different stores and not coming to Lowe's. (laughs) Uh, But I do have one special announcement to make. Um, Our cousin Shannon, she got a job at Lowe's. (laughs) At my my Lowe's store, uh, she got hired as a cashier. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? (laughs) That's fantastic. It I'm is. really happy to hear that. Well, it is fantastic, but I hopefully I I just said a minute ago about the poor cashiers getting yeah. yelled at, and I now I'm saying Shannon's a cashier. No, she she said most of her customers are nice, and uh, she really Shannon really likes the coworkers, and uh, you know I I have to say that I you know many times I talk about Lowe's and. Uh, Mary, one hell of a girl, Mary. Yes. Uh, just so you know, it's it, she's. Uh, it's not just me that she's being nice to. Shannon said the same thing that she thought Mary was very helpful and uh, very compassionate. Nice. That's beautiful. It's always good to have those types of people wherever you go. Really, yeah. for advertising, right? Yeah, absolutely, and just to feel welcomed. Oh, feel like, absolutely. Feel like you belong there, but that's awesome. I'm, I'm proud of Shannon. She, Shannon's such a sweet young woman, and and. Um, yeah, she just, I, I really enjoy her. She's, she's smart, she's funny, um, she's a good-hearted human being. Right. And um, this is a good step for her. You know? Absolutely. And getting out there and getting into a customer service job, mm-hmm. um, enjoying it, not enjoying it, getting paid, uh, getting treated like crap by some people, <laughs> all of those things are important. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, you know... Granny and I have laughed, and I, you know, Chris, you've laughed as well with us about uh, when Granny worked as a server, right? And <laughs> you know, waitress. Some some uh, some idiot uh, pours his Coca Cola down her leg. Um, you know, that kind of experience is important. It's important to learn from those. Exactly. Um, you know, it's important to learn how to be graceful and to deal with people at at their worst times because. Who knows why that person's being a jerk? Right. Who knows? And right now, especially, everybody's afraid. Everybody's got all kinds of worries on their mind at all time. Of course, they, you know, you're going to run into jerks. Right. But learning how to be graceful with them, learning exactly. how to treat them with love and kindness, even when they are that way with you, that's an important uh, uh, learning uh, experience that all of us need to have. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad that she's going to be able to get that there. So. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I totally agree about, you're right, that we, um, who knows, you know, when something unfortunate happened at work, happens at work, who knows why it happens, but in Granny's case, the Coke being poured on her, that indirectly led to <laughs> Granny mean Grandpa Paul, so right. that was a, a blessing in disguise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if uh, Grandpa's brother wasn't there to give you that sage advice mm-hmm. about uh, getting the badge number, get that guy's badge <laughs> yeah. number. You know, uh, that hadn't happened. Uh, that may not be a, something. May not have been a friend you would have known at that at that club when you guys were out dancing. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad you guys brought that up. Oh, that yeah. is a wonderful memory. Oh <laughs> yes. I, yeah, it seemed like Suro was a, a real nice guy. Oh, he was definitely he a good. Really was a real good brother to Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I've had a blessed life. Yes, you have. Yes, you're overdue, you know. <laughs> That's funny, Green. Well, you keep saying that, and, and uh, obviously your your connection uh, line I'm is I'm thinking not... the Lord is going to get tired of hearing that. <laughs> At some point, he probably will. <laughs> when you least expect it. When you least expect it. Um, yeah, and that's... Uh, that'll be one of the things I will say when I get up there to, to give the eulogy, you know. I'll say... You know, you finally picked up the call. <laughs> oh, that'll be a wonderful moment. <laughs> yeah, if people can just uh, realize just how much fun they can have. Yeah. You can let go of those worries. Right. That's an important piece. Oh, man. What a beautiful garden we get to sit out in today. Oh, isn't Debbie so fabulous? I know. This is the beauty. Year after year. She just does such amazing work out here. She has here. a beautiful gift. And it's one of those places where you just feel so welcomed. Right. You know. Uh, That's just what she wants to. Exactly. I love the fact that as we talk and uh, any of our family members who are going to listen to this, they get to listen to the birds singing in the background just the way yeah, we do. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. It's, uh, this is a nice little setting. I really, I really love this. And I'm glad fact, you mentioned that, because I just now I'm pretending that bird, bird is talking to us. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many good different types of birds you have out here, too. Oh, it's my goodness, yes. All the finches, and then the cardinals, and the... And Debbie, just so likable, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She loves everybody. Oh, yeah, I think... Oh, I'm sorry. No good. I was just going to say, I think Aunt Debbie and... Uh, Uncle Paul, they've done a great job with their home and making it look beautiful. Oh, beautiful, yeah. Absolutely. And that sure was fun on Easter when we got to uh, a Zoom together on Easter. Well, that was, yeah. That, it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Video. Granny got to video chat for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you remember that, Granny? I don't remember. Well, I, well, I was just going to say that really was fun, all of us gathering around our laptops, you know, uh, vi- uh, video chatting with each other, and that we, uh, uh, what an age we live in. Exactly. Well, it was, it was wonderful because we got to see uh, the basement down there, and we got to see uh, uh, Chris's uh, wood paneling that <laughs> oh, was Grandpa's wood wasn't paneling. that beautiful? Naughty yes. pine. The yeah. naughty pine. Yeah, that was real fun. I liked when, uh, I can't remember if it was Josh or Terry, but one of them, like, the lights were kind of flickering a little bit, and Terry said, oh, it looks like there's a party going on down there. <laughs> I, I think that was Terry who yes. said that. <laughs> yeah. oh, she's got a real sense of humor. Yes, she does. She yes. does. So, Mr. Chris, did, uh, did you have anything interesting this week from either the mailbag or otherwise? Well, um, 
I don't have a letter uh, from the mailbag, but I, I'll tell you. So since I've I've become a real big fan of Bob Dylan, I wanted to share with you guys um, and maybe start a little discussion if we could. If Josh knows a little bit about Bob Dylan, uh, and I'm sure he does. He's very knowledgeable about rock and roll. But um, Bob Dylan, he has a new album coming out this Friday, so I, I'm gonna buy it the the day it comes out okay. and. Uh, and next time we get together for the podcast, I was hoping I could bring the uh, I'll bring the CD with me and play a couple songs for you guys. Well, I that, think that would be fabulous. I think that's fantastic. That's a wonderful idea. Well, thank you. I haven't uh, listened to any of Bob Dylan's new material mm-hmm. uh, in a good long while. Um, well, he actually, during the coronavirus, he has released three new songs. All of them are from his new album. But And he did it kind of randomly at first. Like, he released one uh, in late March, and he just said, uh, To all of my fans, this is a song that I recorded a few years ago and was waiting for the right opportunity to release. Stay healthy. And uh, the song is called... Murder Most Foul, and Murder Most Foul is about uh, the John Kennedy when John Kennedy was assassinated. The song is 16 minutes long. Whoa, 16 minutes. So um, that's quite an investment of time. Oh yeah. Well, well, that song is going to be on Rough and the new the new album is called Rough and Rowdy Rays, and Murder Most Foul is is on the album, and it's the reason why the album is going to be two discs <laughs> it's a one disc is going to be dedicated just to murder most foul because <laughs> okay. it's hard to you know fit a, a 16 minute song it's, it's hard to fit that in with nine other songs so sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but um but, and then there's the second song he released in april is called i contain multitudes that one is about four minutes long so more reasonable and um it's just kind of about like poetry and writing and stuff like that. And then the third song is called False Prophets. Um, I can't really th- describe what the song is about because I don't really understand the lyrics. But um, False Prophet is, I think, four or five minutes long. And it's a little bit more upbeat because the other two, Murder Most Foul and I Contain Multitudes, are, they're both kind of more slower and like kind of sound like uh classical music or no well actually more like jazzy kind of jazzy songs okay interesting mm-hmm. trying to see if um you you want my help I, I... no I, I was just uh seeing i could pull up the lyrics for false prophets oh okay i was gonna take a look at that uh here in a second but so for you because i mean i'm sure that you're on the younger end of the spectrum of of the bob dylan fans out there oh yeah for sure what is your favorite like era of bob dylan or like what's your favorite uh album or something that you go to with that you know um hmm i don't know if i have a favorite i i really like his material with the band when he when bob dylan uh collaborate with the band uh and um I actually just recently bought the basement tapes and okay. uh, a two disc uh, CD set, and uh, there's some uh, interesting songs in there. Um, so probably would be late '60s, early '70s would be my favorite era, like kind of when. And oh, I know probably my favorite album. I haven't listened to the full album, but Nashville Skyline. That's the one where. Uh, he his songs were more country, mm-hmm. and uh, he the song the most well known song on there is "Lay Lady Lay." Yeah, 
And um, that was the era when Bob Dylan, he quit smoking for a little while. And so his voice, uh, when he recorded Nashville Skyline, his voice started to become a little bit more clear and, you know, less raspy. You know? Okay. But, um, but yeah, I... Um, so I would say, um, yeah, probably late 60s, uh, early 70s would be my favorite Bob Dylan era. Okay. When I was um, probably, I'm trying to think, I must have been about 17, 18, um, they had a big tribute concert to Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was in the late 90s, they had a lot of, mid to late 90s, they had a lot of tribute concerts to legendary musicians like right. uh, Dylan and Johnny Cash and mm-hmm. Roy Orbison and yeah. it essentially would just be they'd have a band out there and then they would trot out one musician after another to play with that band and do uh, versions of his songs right. and um, I remember on that particular it was a double disc set and uh, when it came out on, on CD but um the thing that really struck me at that time of my life the most was um, uh, Eddie Vedder and G.E. Smith okay. going out together to do, um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, like a Rolling Stone? No, it was uh, something of war. Um, Masters of War. Masters of War. And uh, G.E. Smith played a mandolin, <laughs> and Eddie Vedder just boom that song out i mean and i'm not a big pearl jam fan necessarily i'm okay with them but it's not right. my not my favorite i'm more mm-hmm. of a nirvana guy <laughs> nirvana yeah but uh i like nirvana too but this the passion in which they they knocked that song out and how weird it was to see eddie vetter and ge smith from the Saturday Night live band out on the right. same stage together it's just odd but two different categories yeah exactly uh <laughs> in different generations yeah. everything you know and um and then I, I feel like it was almost directly after that, or really close after that, was Richie Havens came out and did a cover of um, uh, Just Like a Woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And the combination of those two covers really opened my eyes to what Bob Dylan was. I had already seen Bob Dylan in concert once before that with Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob uh, took uh, me and my brother Paul and then... Um, Little Bobby, little big Bobby. <laughs> I um, love big Bobby. But he was he was little then. Uh, right. He took all of us to go see Bob Dylan and Santana. Wow! Uh, I did not know that. at uh, Pine Knob. Wow! So um, one of I, I've seen Bob twice there at Pine Knob, both around that same era, and I've seen Santana twice. Both the times I saw Santana was with Uncle Bobby. Uh huh. Um, but it was one of the very first concerts I ever went to. I would say, like, either my second or third concert ever that right. we went to. And uh, couldn't really understand Bob that well live. Um, he had a very large band. It was big wall sound. You, you kind of knew the songs that were being played, but you really couldn't fully understand what was going on. But, but you could feel the energy of this massive group of people all mm-hmm. you know, doing this. So he comes out, and for the first song in the encore... They kick into a song called Rainy Day Woman. Yeah, my um, dad loves Rainy Day Woman. Fantastic song. <laughs> and it's one of those fantastic songs because of how misinterpreted the lyrics are to it uh, right. more than anything. But 
But everybody at the concert loves to to yell along to everybody must get, get stoned. stoned. You know, like they all... And that's what my dad sings around the house. Yeah. That's his favorite Bob Dylan song. Yeah, and so they're jamming that song out. They barely get into the second verse. And all of a sudden the crowd breached the security and just like started coming on stage. Oh. And so all of a sudden like it was crazy because the band kept playing. But you could see from, from the hill, you're watching this, you could see Bob Dylan be grabbed by a couple of his security guards right. and whisked off of that stage yeah. as quick as possible. Oh, yeah. The rest of the band just keeps on playing. So we listened to like a 15-minute instrumental version of, mm-hmm. of Rainy Day Woman with all the, the crowd that had gotten up on the stage all jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, poor Bob's already on an airplane back out of town. <laughs> Save him. And you know what's funny? And, I, and that is really cool, Josh. I, I think that's amazing. You saw Bob Dylan twice and, and Santana twice. Um, you know, I was going to say, ever since Bob Dylan uh, in the mid-60s when he decided to switch over to rock and, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, or, well, more so, he switched over to electric music right. instead of acoustic music. Like you said, the fans have just kind of gotten wild and he's his security has gotten tighter. So, yeah, yeah it's funny to think that far along because I assume you, you, you said you saw Bob Dylan Santana. That was in the 90s, right? Correct. Okay. So, I, it's funny to think 30 years removed that he was, he still was, you know, his security was being tight around him, you know? Oh, well, yeah. And, I mean, again, poor Bob Dylan at that point was in his 60s yeah. easily. And, well, um, now he'll be turning 80 next year, so yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, so yeah, maybe late 50s yeah. into the 60s, whatever. Some, but, I mean, somewhere he was, in there. He was definitely yeah. not a young man anymore, right. and he was definitely not interested in being a part of that party. You know, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. you got to get out of here. And uh, I think, you know, if Santana was out there, Santana probably still been in the middle of that crowd, you know, doing his thing. But, you know, Santana's a different kind of cat than, than Bob Dylan. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, so the Bob Dylan uh, switched into electric uh, at that famous Newport uh, yep. folk festival back in the '60s, uh, <laughs> yeah. And just how the crowd revolted against him was uh-huh. fascinating. But that man's—he's been through ups and downs throughout his career, and you know, fans disowned him and then got him back, and then disowned him again. And have you? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's funny how the fans have owned him and disowned him and been so like. It's kind of like almost like Josh and Terry, like you, you guys used to say about like when we were talking about Tom Brady, how like you yeah. know him being at first he was an underdog and you're like, oh yay, the underdog's winning, just won a Super Bowl. Ooh. A few years later, boo, Tom hey, Brady, we hate you. We don't want you to keep winning. You know, it's weird. We take fans take weird ownerships of teams or in this case of musicians and they mold them into how they want to be and you know and uh and they get mad when the person and the musician or uh athlete doesn't act the way that they want them to or doesn't perform the way they want them to absolutely if they dare change right that <laughs> that's they change. not how i remember you you know I, I want you to be exactly the way i remember you exactly. you know and that's that's right that's a tricky thing for us. We as human beings are, are, are we're flawed. We have lots and lots of flaws, and, and that is definitely one of them, is that we have a very difficult time with processing when somebody else grows oh, and yeah. becomes different in, in, than what we remember them as. That's It's tricky. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, it is a big issue. 
But, um, and, and you know what's funny, Josh, when you're talking about at yeah, the Newport um, Folk Festival, you're right, it was amazing how the fans got so mad at Bob Dole when he decided to, you know, at first, I, I know Granny and I used to talk about Joan Boaz, and I know Gran, Granny said she used to really like Joan Boaz, you know, the folk singer, and, um, and it, you know, Joan Boaz and Bob Dylan, they made some beautiful folk songs together, you know, great songs, and, um, and, and, you know, about, and then Bob Dylan decides to go a different direction, you know, instead of playing acoustic folk music, he plays more upbeat rock music, and, um, and you know, it's funny, Josh, another show, I don't know if you ever heard, so you probably have heard the, the Bob Dylan bootleg albums, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, one of the bootleg albums is, it's called, um, Bob Dylan, I think Bob Dylan at Royal Albert Hall, and they have... Royal Albert Hall is in um, quotes, and because it's not, it wasn't really recorded at Royal Albert Hall. It was recorded somewhere else in England. Okay. <laughs> in um, I don't know why they. I think to be funny, you know, sure, yeah. it was Royal. So, and it's an interesting. I haven't listened to the album yet, but I heard that it's, it's probably Bob Dylan's best live album because the first disc has all acoustic songs you know and so and this was around the same era as the 1965 Newport Folk Festival but anyway so he plays acoustics and the crowd is going wild really enjoying him then the second disc he says all right we're gonna change things over and he plugs in the electric you know amps and stuff and all the electric instruments and starts playing and the crowd starts booing him and apparently you can hear they said in between each song you can really hear the boos on, on when you're listening to the album fascinating i, I may have to i may have to give that a listen it's uh, oh yeah it's such a funny thing um uh, but yeah and it, simply a matter of acoustic or electric guitar like that really makes that big of a difference to these people exactly uh, but yeah Silsby uh, is a huge Bob Dylan fan. Okay. I don't know how he feels about newer Dylan stuff, but I know he has, he probably has every record uh, that has ever been released on vinyl, and I know he has, like, all the bootleg stuff on on CDs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. as well, but yeah, he... He definitely, that's that's his jam, uh, <laughs> one of his favorites. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, Chris. Uh, next time that we get together, I definitely will be interested to hear uh, what you think are the highlights of that album and mm-hmm. uh, uh, your interpretation of, of what you think he's going after with it. I think that'd be great. I'll um, leave, I, I'm going to leave myself a note here to uh, remember to bring you that tribute uh uh, CD of mm-hmm. his. Uh, I've the got one with J. Smith. Yeah, that, I, I've better. got the. I've got it on my computer for sure. Um, I may still have a hard copy of it, but if not, I'll, I'll burn you a CDR of it uh, just so you can give it a listen. It's it's a it's a fun little uh, CD to go through. It's Mellencamp's on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Petty does Rainy Day oh, Woman. I like Tom Petty. Um, <laughs> Springsteen is on there mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, Johnny Cash is on yeah. there. So yeah, it's it's a it's. It's a good lineup. You'll you'll appreciate it. Well, if for anything else, I also love Johnny Cash and uh, Tom Petty, so I would love to hear that album. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing that. But but yeah, I was gonna say about Bob Dylan's newer. But that that is great that uh, Scott Silsby is a big Bob Dylan fan. So I'll have to ask him about that sometime. But um, no, I um, 
so his Bob Dylan uh, the last couple albums uh, I'll tell you he isn't as popular now as he used to be but uh, he's still a pretty good singer I think his voice has gotten a little bit more raspy um, I, yeah I've listened to some so the la- so let me tell you um, 2012 the album Tempest that's his most recent album like with songs that he wrote himself okay and then after that Bob Dylan he released three albums. Uh, each of them are covers of uh, the first one, Shadows in the Night. I have listened to that, and it's all Frank Sinatra songs. <laughs> but, yeah, Bob Dylan, he covered, uh, sang Frank Sinatra songs like uh, That Lucky Old Son and uh, Some Enchanted Evening, and I'm sure a couple of that I great. I love that song. Some Enchanted that's good, Evening. Yeah, that's a great song, yeah. yeah. It is a pretty song. He, he does a pretty good job singing Some Enchanted Evening, Bob Dylan. And. Uh, I know Bob Dylan. He, I, my favorite on the album is when Bob Dylan sings "That Lucky Old Son." I think I think it was a George Gershwin song originally. Uh, that Lucky Old Son. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that is a Gershwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some Enchanted Evening was uh, from South Pacific. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, but now that you say that, yeah, it's, it sounds familiar. <laughs> I remember yeah. that uh, only because um, when. I was still living in Wine, or no, we, we had moved to Frenchtown, but we still went to school in Wyandotte, and uh, Du uh, had to drive me back and forth uh, every day, because right. um, I was going to Trinity Luther, and she was going to Wyandotte Roosevelt High School, and they didn't want to switch her out, because it was her senior year, Right. and uh, she was in the, the drama theater class, and so every day after school, during that time frame, I had to walk from Trinity Lutheran over to the high school and then sit inside the rehearsal area for the the theater kids while they did rehearsal for their plays. And so when we, when we first moved, they were just finishing up doing South Pacific. And so I had to hear, uh, all those songs like, uh, I'm going to watch, uh, watch that man right out, like, uh, out of my hair, that, that song and, uh, some enchanted evening and all that so many times over and over again. Uh, that I gained knowledge of those songs and learned them a lot. Uh, right. And then the second half of it, when they started a new play, they started doing Hello, Dolly. And uh, because I was there every day, uh, the drama teacher, Mrs. R, uh, who was a famous teacher there for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, she, uh, she made me be part of the play. And so I, <laughs> I had to be a little kid. Or I was... 12 whatever i was a young kid <laughs> um in in the old old timey clothes and uh i i had like one line in the play like hey is that dolly like 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 and then and then all of a sudden the, the whole thing busts out in the song well hello dolly <laughs> yeah and um so yeah so that was my my big excursion into being in a in a high school production of hello dolly when i was in in sixth grade so yeah that is real funny yeah i did a couple plays too not so much i did i did a a christmas story when i was in 11th grade i played uh, santa claus but um i also when i was younger like nine years old i did a couple plays at the the ymca uh, drama club did you Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did um, Hansel and Gretel. I played the father. And then I did uh, a Thanksgiving play, and I, I also played the father. Oh, <laughs> you must have a fatherly presence about you. I've been told that. How, how old were you? Uh, I, well, the, that one, the YMCA, I was nine. 
But then the one, uh, A Christmas Story, where I was Santa Claus, I was 17, and, and Granny came and saw that one with my, my family. I would assume, not knowing anything further than of the story, I would assume that you were put in the father role because you always were so damn serious <laughs> as a kid. Like, you, know, you just, you just came across that way with the briefcase, yeah. with it, like, you were no nonsense, like, this is what we're doing. So I, I could see that being like, yeah, he, he's older than the rest mm-hmm. of us. <laughs> he's damn serious. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that probably was might have been what the... I, I Miss Jen was her name, and yeah, I think I, I just remember she uh, she didn't know me that well, so yeah, she might have sensed that I... Yeah, because looking back, I do remember like a lot of the kids were very kind of hyper and fun sure. and stuff, and I more... She would call names, all right, who's here? Dylan, Sarah, Adam, and they would all be like, uh, here, 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 and I'd be like, right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I could see that working that way for them. Like, you were, you were the stalwart of the team, so... The stall... What's the stalwart? You know, the, the one they could always rely on. Oh, like yeah. The, you know, the, the very even-keeled, uh, metered. This always going to be exactly where you expect him to be. Uh, the stalwart. Well, that's funny. Thank that's you. That's a great compliment. I think so. I like that. Yeah, that is a good attribute. So thank you, Josh. And Just don't I... ever call your girlfriend a stalwart. Oh, they, no. Girlfriends do not want to be called that. I don't think Brooke would like to be call a stalwart but um but anyways uh no i think that's really nice josh that you were in hello dolly and, and you said you, you were in a south pacific too no i wasn't in it i just had to sit there and watch that oh, all the uh, over and over again but uh it was because of watching well, that worse than being in it it was tough yeah <laughs> all the no. sacrifices i had to right. make exactly the sacrifices so yeah he's uh bob dylan uh he's still a pretty good singer he he did um shadows in the night which is a, a frank sinatra cover album the next one was fallen angels that one also had some frank sinatra songs but then also some other like george gershwin and you know different people from that big you know big band jazz era and then the the most recent album still has it has cover songs, but it's called Triplicate, and tri- it's called Triplicate because it does have three discs, triple, okay. <laughs> and uh, that one. Uh, um, I think it, it would be more kind of like um, classic American songs. So you know, same thing, jazzy, you know, big band era songs, swing swing songs. And I haven't, no, I haven't listened to Fallen Angels or Triplicate yet, but. Uh, but yeah, I so the most recent album, like they were the T- Tempest. Uh, that's the most recent one with Bob Dylan written songs. I thought it was pretty good. There were um, a Duquesne whistle is on the album, and a Duquesne whistle is a, a really good song, and it is kind of a bit written about trains a little bit. Mm. So <laughs> okay, and then uh, real catchy song. And then he also, the title song, Tempest, I thought that one is a, a real beautiful song. It's another long one, though. Tempest is 12 minutes long. Hmm. <laughs> it's going the Arlo Guthrie route. Uh. <laughs> I, well, I, I get Arlo Guthrie because Arlo Guthrie wrote City of New Orleans, and uh, I played Duquesne Whistle for Mom and Dad, and at first they thought that Duquesne Whistle was City of New Orleans, and they said, oh, "Bob Dylan recorded City of New Orleans," you know, by Arlo Guthrie. Right. I said, "No, this is this is Duquesne Whistle," and they said, "Well, it sounds a lot like City of New Orleans." <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, after a while, those epic uh, folky songs can probably sound a lot alike. Oh yeah, <laughs> was exactly. that a compliment? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, mom and dad. They they do like Arlo Guffrey. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad they love Arlo Guffrey. They like a lot of the folk songs. I think mom and dad they they're not big fans of Bob Dylan, but they they do like Lay Lady Lay and uh, Tangled Up in Blue and a couple of his you know more uh, late sixties, early seventies era yeah. songs. Yeah. The big difference, really, between, like, Arlo Guthrie and Bob Dylan, uh, Granny, would be that Arlo Guthrie really sang a lot more, like, story songs. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very literal. Like, he sang Allison's one, uh, Restaurant. You know, like, like these songs that just, like, you could very clearly follow along with the lyrics of it, and you, you're watching a story unfold in front of you. Whereas Bob Dylan is um, more esoteric. Right. Uh, he's more, like... He's laying out a whole uh, a whole bunch of emotions and feelings that you would have in a scenario, and then he'll have like little markers here or there to maybe give some personal touch to it. But mostly, it's about making you uh, connect with the feeling of where this is at. So mm-hmm. um, you know that it's that's why he kind of appeals more to the hardcore uh, poets of the world than, say, an Arlo Guthrie would, who uh, Arlo Guthrie appeals more to people who like uh, lyricists, mm-hmm. uh, people who s- sing ballads and, you know, like really tell, uh, use the use that art form as a way to tell American folklore stories. So, um, but they're both very talented at what they do and they both have uh, just crazy amount of fans that, that follow them and, and really mm-hmm. appreciate their works. So, oh, yeah. Um, but there's definitely a divide there. You know, mm-hmm. like what, people will typically like one over the other. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and I think you described that perfectly, Josh, you know, the difference between Bob Dylan and Arlo Guffrey. And I, to me, another thing, I think Arlo Guffrey, like you said, he is kind of more of a story writer in his songs. He really takes after his father because... In case you didn't know, Arlo Guffrey is the son of Woody Guffrey. Oh. And you remember Woody Guffrey, right? This mm. land is your land. This oh, yeah, land that, is my I remember land. That. <laughs> Wait, that's um, that's not Woody Guthrie. That's um, um, Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger, yeah. I well, I, well, I, well, I, I mean, Pete maybe, Seeger. Maybe Woody wrote well, it. Yeah, no, I was gonna say Pete Seeger. He might have wrote well, "This Land Is Our Land," but I think uh, Woody Guthrie made made it famous though. So let let me Google it though. Woody Guthrie wrote a lot of songs. Uh, he did. A whole lot of songs. Oh, yeah. He um, contributed to the American Songbook. A couple of my favorite albums in the world are The Mermaid Sessions 1 and 2, where uh, Woody Guthrie's daughter hired uh, a musician named Billy Bragg and then a band named Wilco to mm-hmm. come together. She had gone through her father's old belongings, and she found a trunk, like a, like a big wardrobe trunk, full of lyrics that he had written and just thrown in there. Like, <laughs> never used them. Wow. And so she hired Billy Bragg and Wilco to come to their house, open that trunk up, and make a couple albums out of all these unreleased Woody Guthrie songs. Right. And those are a couple of my absolute favorite albums. Have you heard those at all, Chris? So I assume, is that, so I know Wilco, that's Jeff Tweedy's band, and is that where they got the inspiration for the Sunken Treasure song? Or no, is that different? No, well, okay. no, that's it's. This would have happened after Sunken Treasures okay. um, had been released. Um, 
Well, I, I might have heard some of the songs that you're talking about because I I still have the DVD, the Jeff Tweedy DVD you gave me, so I might have heard some. So of the those one songs. song on there that you would know would be California Stars. Okay, uh, that was I off of that album, that. but um, okay, that I'm adding that to my list of albums to burn for you because uh, if you have any interest in Woody Guthrie at all, mm, that is I a do. very interesting uh, set of of CD or of music. So I'll write that down right now for thanks. All these things I'm gonna. Help share with my friend here. Absolutely. Yeah, isn't that nice, Granny? It is Josh, wonderful. Josh is very. This is just very exciting oh, and yeah. interesting to me. Yeah, jo- all, all these things you didn't know about and right. won't remember tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's true, but I, I remember now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I may not that, have tomorrow. Yeah, and the fact that we have each other to share this with right. at the time, that's all yeah. that matters. Yeah, I found it very, very interesting. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, oh, I'm just going to say, isn't Josh so thoughtful and resourceful? Absolutely. <laughs> Both of you. When uh, Chris was talking about uh, old uh, jazz standards, it reminded me that um, a couple a couple months ago I had started trying to learn how to play the song uh, Moonlight Becomes You oh, yeah. on the guitar because I knew how much you really loved that song. And I, and, and I remember... One of my favorite memories is uh, the video of Grandpa singing that song to you <laughs> while you're looking like, ugh, he's singing again. Um, it's, I, I, I cannot get enough of that video. I watch that video over and over again, and it just makes me laugh every time. Uh, so he I was, was a sweetheart, wasn't he? He was. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried, uh, I've tried learning how to play that on guitar, and it's that's a tricky thing to learn, that, that type of strumming that they did for the big band swing uh, jazz numbers. But I'll get it one of these days, and I'll, I'll be able to play it for you. That would be real fun. What did you say that song is called? Uh, Moonlight Becomes You. Yeah, I think I might might have heard it. I, I can't think of it. I can't play it in my head, but I, I think I've heard Moonlight Becomes You. But I did look up This Land's Your Land. It, it was written and originally recorded by Woody Guffrey. All right. And, and Chris gets gold star. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I mean, I wasn't trying to prove Josh wrong. I just, you no, know. No, you're was, right, yeah. And, Granny, this is Woody Guffrey. You might remember him. No, I okay. really don't. Well, that's really. fine. He just was a real popular folk musician, uh-huh. and uh, he wrote a lot of songs like about America and stuff. And actually, I didn't know this, but it says here that um, uh, this land is your land. It was uh, written. He Woody Guffrey was inspired to write that song. He was inspired by "When the World's on Fire," which was a song by the Carter family. Yes. Oh, you knew that, Josh? I'd heard that story before, yeah. Um, Woody wrote a whole lot about uh, the Dust Bowl times. Mm -hmm. When, um, back in the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. um, just west of where you were at in Arkansas, uh, in the Great Plains area, they were having uh, the Dust Bowl happen, which they had all these really large sandstorms mm-hmm. that would just black out the sky and um, and drove farmers out of there and uh, lots of people died and lost their land and everything just because um, because it was just a bad situation you know and um, Woody Guthrie uh, became in a weird way he became the documentarian of that happening like this mass exodus of people leaving their homes to try to find somewhere where they could make a new start similar to what you and your mom did mm-hmm. um you know with great grandpa sandalin leaving arkansas so that you could come to michigan and, and right. you know a lot of the people there in the great plains left and tried to get into california that was the big thing so uh but yeah the carter family was also deeply entrenched in that 
era, you know, uh, the early the early versions of the Carter family, and so a lot of times they would write songs that would then in, ter in turn inspire other writers who were writing about that time, which, um, yeah, that was it was always an interesting thing, and and also that that this land is your land was written as a protest song is also very fun because people don't recognize it because it's such a sing-songy happy song this land is your <laughs> land this land is right. like we're used to it being on commercials you know like but the fact was is that was a protest that was mm -hmm. them being very angry at people who did not allow the okies you know as they were called the okies were not allowed into their land they'd have big signs up said no okies welcome you know? so. <laughs> that is very interesting so uh, thank you for sharing that story with us josh and um and i looked up pete seeger he, pete seeger he did do a, a cover of uh, this land your land and he what what you were probably thinking of how you uh, you thought that pete seeger wrote this land your land you might have been thinking of uh we shall overcome Pete Seeger, he did write "We Shall Overcome," mm -hmm. and then he also wrote "Where Have All the Flowers Gone?" Mm -hmm. I, if I had a hammer, and uh, a waist deep in the big muddy. So he had a couple. It looks like that a was the months. only one I didn't remember. The last one. Waist deep in the big muddy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little, yeah, a little more um, kind of a, a back, like a B-side kind of track, but. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're you're probably right. I, as far as Pete Seeger goes, I just happen to know that version first. Right. Like when I when when I hear that song in my head, I hear the Pete Seeger version oh, of it. Yeah. So that, I, that's why I assumed because uh, Pete Seeger wrote a lot of good songs. So I kind of assumed that he wrote that. But and he Pete Seeger was around for a lot longer than Woody Guthrie because I think Woody Guthrie was only probably about fifty or sixty when he passed away. Whereas Correct. Pete Seeger lived to be ninety six. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, he was around from the 30s, and he performed up until his death in 2014. And his, I think, heyday was, the biggest claim to fame for him would have been the uh, 60s and 70s, all the marches and everything. He mm -hmm. was front and center, oh, you yeah. know, uh, leading, leading people protesting at that time. Right. So, Which is timely to the day, because, of course, nowadays we've got uh, the George very Floyd. major protests going on again. And oh, yeah, George Floyd. Yeah, so that's uh, it's interesting. I, I'll be interested to see who comes out of this time as that person, who's, oh, yeah. who's the person who, who uh, leads the music end of those protests. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I, it's a, probably going to be in a genre of music that I don't know. Uh, <laughs> or not know well, at least, I'm going right. to ask. But maybe not. Maybe... maybe uh, some folky Americana guitar player is going to come back out of the woodwork and, and be that person, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm guessing in some ways Bob Dylan probably feels that way right now, too. Like, that it's partially his responsibility to, to write some, some stuff to go with it. He did, and Bob Dylan did an interview in the New York Times, and they asked him what did he think of... They, it happened just last week, I think. Um, they asked Bob Dylan in the interview, what do you think of the George Floyd case? And Bob Dylan said he thought it was shocking and yeah. uh, very sad to see how the... You know, what the... Uh, I can't remember how he phrased it, but just that kind of, you know, everything that happened with the police and seeing, you know, how people are responding now is very shocking and sad. It is. It is. It certainly makes your heart uh, go out to everybody involved and so many people, you know, there, there is definitely need for us to make changes. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, the hard part is getting everybody back to the table to say, okay, this is clearly not working. How do we fix this? And it's tough to do that when everybody is 
very much wrapped up in being scared right. and, 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 and it's got to take a real strong person it is it is mm-hmm. and I, I, sure. I hope to see that leader emerge soon <laughs> I, I do oh, uh, it certainly yeah. doesn't it, look like it comes well. from our politics um, <laughs> well I was going to say it would be interesting seeing with the George Floyd case how that wraps into the debates you know in the fall God, I'm not looking forward to this this uh, election cycle. Oh, I'm I'm excited to see Trump and Biden debate each other. That will be very exciting. Just because you know how back in 2016 they kind of made fun of each other, and I I think Joe Biden said, "Oh, I would love to take Donald Trump behind the bleachers and beat him up," and and Trump was like, "Bring it on, Joe!" You know, and <laughs> I'd love to see during the debates how they. Yeah, it'd be funny to watch. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I, uh, I definitely hope that we're back to a time that uh, uh, you and I can sit together and watch mm-hmm. it in person. Right, uh, just like yeah. we did for the 2016 yeah. conventions. I, uh, yeah. I don't know. Watching, doing a watch along on Zoom might not be uh, quite as fun, but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll try to arrange. Something. We'll figure something out. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's gonna be tricky. This is we're gonna have some really ugly uh, human behavior come out of people during right. this time frame, which. Always worries me. I, I always get worried when I see the ugliness come out of people. Yeah, but it's not pleasant. No, but we can't control it. What we no. can control is right here, right, right in front of us. You know, in our day-to-day lives, that's what we can control. You know? Yeah, and um, yeah, just like how um, you can't change the world, but you can change yourself. Amen. Amen to that one. Amen. I'm hundred uh, percent on board with that. And made the three of us always remember that. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, Josh, did you have anything else from your notepad that you wanted to share with us? Um, not necessarily. Okay. Um, I, I will say, um, as far as new music, um, uh, during this the the COVID quarantine time, I finally uh got my new uh, Joel Plaskett uh, record set in. Uh, it's nice. called 44, and okay. it's a four-album set, uh, 44 songs in it. Um, and it was written to be... And he released it the day before he turned 45. And um, wonderful, wonderful set of music. Really enjoy it. Um, I'll have to share some of that with you, Chris, along the way. I, I've... Uh, He's definitely one of my favorite musicians uh, from the beginning of his career to now. But uh, this this album was it was definitely well needed uh, during the quarantine time for me. It's uh, it's been a very very good thing to listen to, and uh, it's he he's um he's a storyteller, mm-hmm. and he's a guy who turns a lot of phrase that uh, just makes you kind of think a little bit more about your interactions with other people, and and uh, at the end of the day. He uh, seems to always side with the idea of, of being compassionate and being graceful and, and empathetic of other people's stories and plights. And um, I feel like... I uh, like that. I do too. And we don't get enough of that in, in all the modern musics necessarily. So it's it's that one's been a good one for me. Um, I've still got tickets to go see him. I was supposed to go see him in May. That got canceled. Uh, right. But it's in October now, the reschedule. So... We'll see if it still happens. If it does, uh, we'll be going to London, Ontario to see him. Uh, nice. If not, then 
whenever it is available again, we'll do it, you know? Yeah, um, it does sound very fun. We just don't know uh, when that will be. Well, I hope you do get to see Joe Plaska soon, Josh. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping, now that you said that, I already, I've been wanting to go to Bob Dylan concert, but now that you said you've been to two, and I, I really want to go <laughs> so, to compete with Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to try to keep up on uh, concerts. I, I've been to, especially in my younger days, man, mm-hmm. I went to so many shows yeah. back in the day. Now I'm down to maybe like two or three a year, but right. uh, I would say when I was up until about your age, I would say I probably did four or five concerts a month. Well, like, a month. I was always going. Ooh, I always had some, somewhere to go. And, you know, whether it was a concert in a little club or whether it was a big stadium or, <laughs> you know, a festival, whatever it was, I've, I've seen so many bands just... Yeah. Because it was important to me at that time. Right. I really enjoyed it. It is special. The older I get, the the less I like to be in crowds anyway. Right. Um, so I have to be a lot more choosy now of what <laughs> I, I want to see live. Um, oh, yeah. And, I mean, driving to, you know, every, all the big venues in Metro Detroit, they're all kind of, uh, you know, it's a hard drive and sure. a lot of traffic. But, uh well, no, four or five concerts a month, that is. Un- I've only been to four concerts in my life. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I, I blame Uncle Bobby. I will put yeah. that out here right now publicly and say I blame him. Because he <laughs> he and my brother Paul, the two of them, uh, took me to my first two concerts, or first couple of concerts. And uh, after getting to see the first couple of concerts that I saw with those two guys... It ruined me because it made me want to always be at a concert. You know, like, <laughs> so what was the first two concerts you saw? First concert was Lollapalooza 93. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that was Rage Guns Machine, Babes in Toyland, uh, Arrested Development, Dinosaur Jr., Tool, Fishbone, Alice in oh. Chains, Primus. Um, yeah, I'm probably missing a couple, but that oh, was that's a good that, start. that was that show, <laughs> and then I think my second show ever was Bob Dylan's in uh, Santana wow. at, at Pine Knob, uh, and I th- think the third show would have been uh, Meatloaf mm-hmm. at the Is State Theater uh, during the Battle ba- or Back into Hell tour. So oh, that's really cool. So yeah, so that that threesome of concerts really you know then it was nirvana and, right you know blah 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 blah, blah. and it just wow. i've you know i got to see a lot of a lot of bands back in the day that's really great you got to see nirvana before kurt cobain passed away that's yep really yep i uh, saw him two months before he died wow that's uh, awesome yep. yeah, you're lucky but um no i wanted to say uh do you re- I, i'm sorry if you said this already but what venue did you see while Lollapalooza at so that would have been at the the Milan uh, drag uh, strip. Uh, there's a the dragway mm. down there where they do drag strip racing in mm. in Milan, Michigan. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Just yeah. way out in the middle of nowhere, huge property. It's out that way a little bit. Uh, that, that way. way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah kind of a little west, bit off of I seventy five. Uh, well, it's I, off of twenty uh, three. Oh, I twenty three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm twenty three. So. Um, they had, I think we had uh, something like 45,000 people there, um, mm-hmm. and it was out outdoors, and yeah. it was all on concrete, Right. and it was hot, <laughs> hot, 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 hot. I mean, it was like 85, 90 degrees, and, you know, a bottle of water cost a couple bucks, um, uh, you know, and it was just, you know, it was expensive, whatever, and 
So they got the fire department was out there at the front of the stage on either side of the front of the stage spraying fire hoses into the crowd just to, to cool people down. Oh. Uh, because everybody was just just baking in the sun. It was it was a it was a long It must have been steamy. It was steamy. <laughs> oh yes it was. But but it was a, a interesting event and I was fourteen years old and being dragged around by my brother. Uh yeah, so it was it was an eye opener. It was worth it. Huh? It was worth it. It was an eye opener of a day, and uh, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of things that day that I never had seen before in my life. Some things I never seen since. Uh, oh boy! It was just a, it was a great experience. I'm and glad you had that experience. Me too. Yeah. And the reason I kept pointing was I was trying to... Re- I, I know about Milan, that Milan is in Monroe County. I just couldn't remember where it was, like, in relation to oh, yeah. uh, Carlton. Yeah, so, so Milan is on the westernmost point of, of uh, Monroe, Monroe County. County. So if yeah. you leave here and say, like, you went over to Oakville Waltz Road. Okay. And then you just went west on that, that will take you directly into Milan in okay. about 15 minutes. Yeah. So. Well, I know the big thing in Milan is the prison, you know. So. <laughs> right. And the prison is right on 23. Yeah. The dragway is about a mile uh, east of the prison. Okay. Well, yeah. well, that's good to know if I ever have to go to Wallapalooza or any of the events out at the, the speed of <laughs> the dragway. Yeah, I don't know if they've ever had any more concerts there or not. Um, mm-hmm. I know now they do that really big country festival, the Faster Horses or something like that. I think they do that out at... Uh, uh, the MIS, okay. International Speedway now, because right. it just is an even bigger facility for them. Uh, right. That's too many people. You're talking yeah, 100,000 people in a place? Mm-mm. Oh, I wouldn't want to go I have there. no interest in that. Yeah. And even the concerts, some of the concerts I've been to, they've been really crowded. I So you said you've been to four or five concerts a month. I have only been to four in my life. Uh, the first one I went to was the Beach Boys at pine knob but mm-hmm. well they, now it's been changed uh dte energy music feeder all four of us went uh dad mom randy and myself and uh the beach boys did very good i mean uh you know at that time it was mike love and bruce johnson you know brian wilson and al jardine you know they were they're gone their separate ways and mm-hmm. carl wilson and dennis wilson had passed away but uh, they did a very good set, and oh, and they had John Stamos with them, you know, because John Stamos he p- yes. plays with the Beach Boys sometimes. So. Yeah, it was a real good show. I remember, um, I think Kokomo was my favorite song that they played, and um, I, I my personal connection to Kokomo is that was a song that was playing in the pet store when when we met Mia, Aww. my dog Mia. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mia, such a sweet dog. And uh, uh, it is a great memory. So we really, and, and Josh, you might remember this too about Pine Knob. You know that, that big hill they have behind the, we, you, you probably have noticed this yourself, when you walk behind that hill during a concert, that sound is amazing. Yes. You know? The, the all the music reflecting onto that hill it is amazing and we got to hear we were walking but leaving the last song the beach boys played was fun 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 and i still remember hearing them singing fun 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 and the, the sound reflecting you know <laughs> and, and uh even though i'm sure it was your dad doing that it's uh it's a delisle move to leave the concert before it's over mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Quick, they're doing the encore. Let's get the right. hell out of here. Oh, yeah. Mom and Dad, they've always been like that. And same like when Dad and I... Actually, you're right. It was my dad because I remember um, the Detroit Lions. We were at the Lions game. Dad wanted to leave at halftime. And, 
And yeah, and I even remember, you know how kids are, you know, like pointing stuff out and you know trying to get to stay a minute. And dance like, no, let's go before it gets crowded, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I agree. That does sound like a Delisle thing, or even in the churches, how whenever any of us Delisles go to a Catholic church, we start putting our jackets on, you know. And uh, and my dad has even said before he looks like. I'm Baptist. We never did this, you know. The Baptists do. Protestants know better than put their jackets on while the pastor's still talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catholics will start tapping their wrist like, mm. <laughs> "Where's Father Speedy when you need him?" <laughs> so, okay. So, real quickly before we say goodbye, what's the other three concerts? All the three were uh, Bon Jovi. That my my dad took me there at Palace of Auburn Hills. Uh, the Jimmy Buffett at Comerica Park, and well, the opener for Jimmy Buffett was John Fogarty from nice. from CCR, and and it was nice because my dad got he loves CCR, so he got to see his favorite singer John Fogarty, and then I got to hear my favorite singer Jimmy Buffett, so it was a win win for my dad and I. And then the last one, uh, it was Dad, Mom, Randy, and I again at, again at uh, DT Energy Music Theater. It was Alice Cooper and Deep Purple, and and also the opener was Edgar Winter. Nice. I, I think I remember you going to that one. That was just a couple years ago, right? Yeah, that was uh, it was Memorial Day 2017. So yeah, okay. it was three years ago almost. And uh, yeah, we I remember we talked about that in the podcast. The, I, we did the podcast the next day. Yeah, I think, that's on right. Memorial yep. Day. And uh, yeah, that one was uh, Alice Cooper, Deep Purple. It was a lot of fun, and we stayed for all of Alice Cooper's set, and then um, about a third of Deep Purple set. And and then the Jimmy Buffett show. I I do regret not staying longer. We Dad and I were there about halfway through, and we we left when Jimmy Buffett was playing Cheeseburger in Paradise. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so we got to hear a couple of good ones, but we you know I would like to hear Margaritaville live. Sure. I'm certain that that has to be the the big uh, ending or, or oh, yeah. encore, one of the two. You know, he always. I think now in the recent years, Margaritaville is always the the last song, and then he does an encore yeah. after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of Jimmy Buffett, Josh, but if you are, I'll have to, I'll have to lend you the I have the Wrigley Field, the Jimmy Buffett Wrigley Field DVD, and it's it's a real good concert. Yeah, Buffett was never my thing. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate it for what it is. Just mm-hmm. um, I didn't have that same connection to it, I think, that you did you know, from, right. from your early childhood. Oh, and, yeah, because uh, my mom is a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, and my dad likes some of his songs, too. So I, I was a parakeet. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Terry will scream at the radio if Jimmy Buffett comes on, and oh. she'll turn, turn it off immediately. So, uh, oh, <laughs> so well. even if I was to become a convert of... of uh, Jimmy Buffett, I think I think she would uh, put mm-hmm. the Ixnay on that immediately. So. That's okay. I mean, he is a very you know he describes his music as uh, golf western music because it's so different. It's a combination of country, rock, pop, and some Caribbean. So it, it's all over the place. So I don't blame Terry and yourself for not being Jimmy Buffett. He is very. I agree. He would be almost obscure, you know. And I think for her. It probably has more to do with when she was in high school, the type of people who liked Jimmy Buffett back then were not people that she liked. You know, like sometimes you get that association with artists or bands or whatever. You're like, the people I know who like them 
are not my kind of people, you know, and I think that was what it was for her. And, and you know what, I know that, and I, I will admit, this sound, will sound a little stereotypical, but I don't mean it. That, when I was, I had a friend named Justin when I was uh, going to elementary school, and he was like me. He was really into rock and roll and knew all the different artists. And I asked Justin, I said, are you a fan of Queen? And he said, no, I'm not. You know, Chris, the Queen's lead singer, he's gay. And I took that almost like he was saying like that he's not a fan of Queen because Freddie Mercury is gay. And he was saying that for if I were a fan of Queen, then that's not a good thing. Right. Cause, and obviously, you know, it, it doesn't mean that was... He was a fourth grader, Justin. So it doesn't matter what he'd say. And there's, I now I don't. I've gotten past that stereotype. But for years, I could never. Whenever I heard Queen come on, same thing. Like I would be intimidated to listen to them, and which is bad because they are a great singer. And they're the fact that Freddie Mercury is gay. That has absolutely nothing to do with the music. It is beautiful music, and I and I think Freddie Mercury was a great guy. He was a great songwriter. Yeah, but when you're young and impressionable. Some things like that can get stuck in your head yeah. for for all the wrong reasons, and, and probably exactly. just because that kid was told that by his dad or by right, somebody yeah. else, you know, or whatever. And maybe someone else had teased him. You yeah, know. exactly. And it is what it is, and, and I understand exactly what you're saying with that one. I never got it. I never understood as a young kid, like, or actually well into my adulthood, I never thought once about whether Freddie Mercury was gay or right. wasn't. I, like, uh-huh. all I knew was that. That band uh-huh. did, first of all, my favorite scene in a movie up until way later in my <laughs> Wayne's life. Wayne's World. Wayne's World yeah. with Bohemian Rhapsody was my oh, favorite, yeah. favorite scene in a movie. Absolutely. And my favorite movie, you know, like at that wow. time, you know. So, that, so okay, he's, they did the greatest song there, you know. And then every song that you hear just about at a, at a, a, a Pistons game back in the day was a Queen song. You'd right. hear Another One Bites Dust. You'd hear We Will Rock You. We Are the Champions. Um, Killer Queen, like all those songs would be played in timeouts right. all the time. Like they're the greatest rock anthems for, oh, yeah. for going to a sport game. Definitely. So to me, I was like, okay. And when then Freddie Mercury died when I was pretty, that was young. I mean, it was 1990 or it was yeah, when he died. Yeah, so I was 12. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember uh, I was watching the tribute to Freddie Mercury, that big concert yeah. that was put on. And because uh, I was a fan of Guns N' Roses and, and Death Leopard, and they were all there playing tributes to this man who had died very young. You yeah. know? Um, sadly, I mean, it was a horrible death. Very and, tragic. Um, my brother Jim <laughs> walks into the room. Back in the day, Jim wasn't as worldly and thoughtful and, and compassionate <laughs> of a human being as he is now. Oh, Jim was, you know, 1990, Jim would have been, you know, 21, whatever, 20. You know, big dumb kid, just like all of us at that age. And he walks in, and this is why it's great. As Jim walks into this room, he's got his belly-cut um, pink tank top T-shirt, as was the style at the time. So, you know, imagine, if you could, a, t-shirt, or a tank top T-shirt that's bright pink right. and cut right here to allow your belly to show. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then he's got cut-off jean shorts on. He walks into the room while I'm watching this tribute concert, and he goes... Because uh, Guns N' Roses was covering uh, Knock on Heaven's Door by right. Bob Dylan. That's right. So it yeah. all comes full circle. Yeah. They were they were covering uh, Bob Dylan's song. That's funny. And Jim goes, how appropriate, because that guy's probably knocking on Heaven's Door right now and not being let in. <laughs> right, not being and then he walks away. And I remember as a kid being like, what? 
yeah. are you talking about? And, and and it was probably the first time in my life where, with my brother Jim, and you know, where I was just like, oh, maybe he doesn't know everything that he says he knows. Like, <laughs> and, and I say that with this, all due respect and love of my brother. My right. brother's a brilliant man, and he has grown into an awesome human being oh, yeah. over great, time. Great father. But as a younger guy, he was, a, you know, full of piss and vinegar and, and <laughs> you know, not so much compassion. And, you know, it was what it was. And I just remember looking at him, and, and I didn't gather the whole thing about, you know, oh, he was gay and, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. But I just was like, a man died. Mm, yeah. A man died, and a bunch of people are all getting together to pay tribute to right. that man. Very solemn. And solemn occasion. you're going to cut a joke about whether or not he's making it into heaven. Right. When, again, I'm not the most religious guy. We all know that. I, I deeply am spiritual, and I do have a grand, fond appreciation for what all this brings. But mm-hmm. I'm not a religious guy in general. But the God I know, the God that I uh, believe that we are all connected through, is not a vengeful God. It right. is a God who looks for love and compassion and empathy out of human beings and looks for reasons to forgive as opposed to looking for reasons to condemn. Right. And that's why I live my life that way because I was taught by a great teacher over here in Aww. her classroom. Yeah. You know, when granny taught me all the time, don't judge other people. Worry about yourself and treat other people good because they need it. That's what I live by. And so that thought process of like, He's not gonna have his own. Like, what? <laughs> Never mind. You know, you're done. you're out of here. I'm, I'm <laughs> done with you. But you know, it, but like you said, people have weird biases at those times in their lives, and and thankfully we grow older, right. we evolve, we get better. That's <laughs> a wonderful thing, and we should embrace that. You know, so. I loved how Josh remembered what his brother Jim was wearing at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that was his outfit that he loved to wear a whole lot back then. <laughs> right. And and it just happen to be kind of hypocritical and funny that, yeah. you know, that you'd be making a joke about somebody being gay when you're wearing an outfit mm-hmm. that looks L- a little, little on that side. A little bit, feminine. Yeah, a little bit uh, feminine. Well, with that, let's uh, let's have ourselves a little prayer. Alrighty. Let's do that. Oh. Alright. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this real sunny day you've blessed us with. And um, thank you for keeping Granny healthy and uh, letting, keeping Josh and Terry healthy also. And let Josh and Terry continue to do well at their jobs. And um, bless uh, Shannon. Let Shannon continue to do well at, at Lowe's and uh, enjoy working at Lowe's. And um, uh, Lord be with everybody who is scared of catching the coronavirus and uh, ease their mind and uh, keep them healthy and safe. And uh, Bless all those, Lord, who need your healing hand today. And also bless Uncle Paul and Aunt Debbie, and thank you for letting them both have us over today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And bless this wonderful young man. Right? Absolutely. Right. This, this and this wonderful young mm-hmm. man. I am so blessed. Oh, I love you. <laughs> you guys have always treated me so sweet. You too, Granny. Made me want to be even sweeter. <laughs> Uh, if you're any sweeter, it would uh, knock my teeth out. So. Three, two, one, glory! Hey, Green.